welcome to The Future of What. I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. At Music Biz, we decided that continuing to provide a forum for our community to come together and support each other was the most important thing we could do. So we started a Zoom chat series called Music Biz Live. Today's episode is the audio from my chat with the heads of many of the music industry trade associations. Many things are still uncertain, but one thing's for sure, we're all in this together. As always, support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk to music industry trade association heads about responses to the COVID crisis. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lift the crumbs from your table? Can I interfere in your crisis? No, mind your own business. No, mind your own business. Support for The Future of What comes from Sound Exchange, which provides royalty solutions and advocacy to ensure all music creators are paid what they are owed. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Mitch Glazier and Michelle Ballantyne of the RIAA, Richard Burgess of A2IM, David Israelite of the NMPA, Sarah Traherne of the CMA, and Bart Herbison of the NSAI. All right. Well, I would like to get started by saying thanks so much to all of you. You know, we have seen so much movement in the last week or two to try to relieve some of the pain that we're having in our industry. And I really wanted to thank everybody here because you guys have all been so instrumental. Mitch and Michelle spearheading the new website, musiccovidrelief.com. Very important information at that website. And also everybody on here who has helped with putting together the CARES Act. Mitch, I'd like to get started with you. Can you tell us a little bit about what's the most important thing that people should know about the CARES Act? Yeah, the most important thing is that there are two major benefits that musicians and artists and creators can receive if you are an independent contractor or a sole proprietor or an employee. It doesn't matter whether you get a W-2 or a 1099, you can apply for unemployment even if you normally couldn't apply for unemployment under your state's unemployment insurance laws. And so if you go to musiccovidrelief.com, You can download applications for each of the states. And because this is new and states aren't used to doing it, it's really important to get into line early. A lot of states don't have the right applications up yet. They don't have the right tools in place yet, but you need to get in line so that as these implementation tools become more available, you can receive those benefits much more quickly. Second piece and Bart and David and the songwriting community was very instrumental in this, is making sure that the Small Business Administration makes loans and advances, grants, debt forgiveness, all available to sole proprietors and independent contractors as well. So you don't have to be a normal small business. You can be an independent creator. And whether you have employees or you pay other independent contractors, you're supposed to be able to apply under the CARES Act to get relief. The whole idea is that musicians created gigs in the first place, right? We are the gig economy. And the idea was to make sure that gig workers who don't have sort of 
normal jobs, but actually work for lots of different employers in lots of different situations can actually have some relief in order to put food on their table during this crisis. That's the whole point of it. So keep going to the website, apply for both benefits if you can and if you qualify, read it carefully. And it's a little bit of work, but it's worth it. Michelle, can you walk us through the legislative process a little bit? Because I'm sure this was quite a lot of work to get this organized because there's a lot of language in legislation that's actually really new, new people who are being covered. Right. So thanks, Portia. This was a really accelerated process whereby normally we would go through the process of having committee hearings and testimony and all that to really push to get everything done as quickly as possible. And the one process piece that I want to make sure that people understand is that when you're going to get something done in a stimulus package where the normal rules don't always apply, you really have to come together and present a unified front. And I think, you know, everyone here did that. Of course, we were all pushing for the things that we needed for our own communities and constituencies, but you have to really come together and get it done. And it's just an example of what we did when we were trying to get the Music Modernization Act passed. It shows what we can accomplish when we're all together. I used to work in Senate leadership many moons ago. And the one thing that I saw here, the takeaway is that that you can only get it done if you present a tailored request. Leadership has got many, many requests coming in from all different sectors of the economy. And the only way to pass it is to have broad industry support. And so that's the piece that I want to make sure that everyone understood here is that we all had to do it together to get that. Otherwise, you're, you're just, it's just like a lot of noise everyone's hearing. And to drive the point across, that's how you got to get it done. Absolutely. You know, I love seeing everybody here today on this call and the fact that everybody knows each other and is friendly. You know, I, I think the MMA was such a turning point in our industry, you know, because people really had to work together to get something that actually moved forward and then benefited everybody. And I keep feeling the last few days that if this pandemic had happened 25 years ago in this industry, I don't know that we would have been able to come together in the same way. Right. Well, I think the relationships are already formed, which is great and very important. Bart, do you want to talk a little bit? I know that you were also instrumental in helping get the specific language into the bill that would support people like songwriters, because songwriters are kind of a different class of artists. They don't necessarily tour. They have different needs. So can you talk a little bit about how you created that language? Well, all the credit goes to the House chair and the Senate chairs of the Songwriter Caucuses. It started with a conversation with Congressman Ted Deutsch from Florida, who's the chairman of the House Caucus, and translated, and this was bipartisan, he specifically asked me to reach out across to the Senate and to a member of the Republican Party, Marsha Blackburn, senator from Tennessee, who's the chair of the Senate. Songwriters Caucus. And quickly, we had language that would not only cover songwriters for unemployment and paycheck protection loans and things that they weren't traditionally eligible for, but everybody in the gig industry and really every self-employed person in the United States, from an Uber driver to a house painter. I want to go back for a second and address a little bit of the question you asked Michelle about the political process. So it seemed to me as difficult as it is because everybody is running to the hill, me, 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 as they should, when there's going to be a multi-trillion dollar stimulus package, (laughs) 
in retrospect, that seemed a lot easier than getting SBA regulations right for these loans and unemployment state by state. So I can talk about that now or later, because I think that's what a lot of people, at least our constituents, want to know about. Right? Lay it on us. I want to hear about it. Okay. So unemployment is different in all 50 states. And thanks to Mitch and the RIAA and Jordan Bromley and others that got this music COVID website up, because you go there, there's a link to each of the individual 50 state unemployment departments. For instance, in Tennessee, only yesterday did the governor announce that self-employed individuals would be covered under unemployment in Tennessee. Mitch, Michelle, in a moment can talk about something nuanced that we wanted both W-2 wages and 1099 wages to be considered for your unemployment eligibility amount and period, but it's covered now. And to repeat what Mitch said, get your application in because this is first come, first serve. Same thing on the Paycheck Protection Program. Right now, we've got issues with the applications that the bank are using because some of the things they ask individuals for They can't supply. For instance, the whole idea was to take care and keep people working for eight weeks. Now it's going to be extended, as we understand it, $250 billion is what they're looking at right now for the next stimulus bill to add to this paycheck protection program. But it was supposed to be eight weeks of relief to pay workers and their insurance and maybe some basic business costs. But documentation an individual is asked to furnish is payroll records. Well, if I'm a sole proprietor, I don't have a payroll. I get paid. So what we are trying to make sure the SBA lets you furnish instead is what you got paid for a commensurate period of time last year. Just before this, I got some good news. It looks like most of those regulations are going to be interpreted in favor of the self-employed. We're still working to make sure they can be covered for loans on their insurance right now. I will reiterate on the Paycheck Protection Program, get in line. It's first come, first serve. David, you also deal with songwriters and also publishers. Those are your constituents. What are the issues that your constituents are specifically having? Sure. So for a lot of publishers, they're no different than other small businesses. This is going to put a lot of economic strain on their business. And so some of these programs, you know, offer some relief to that side of the industry. But from the songwriter side, obviously, it was most important that people who are independent contractors, sole proprietorships can take advantage of some of these programs. And it's one of the things that BART in particular was just fabulous about when this opportunity came up is making sure that this law, that a lot of it was being lobbied by giant interests. I mean, you saw the hotel industry, the airline industry, the gaming industry, all in there with armies of people trying to get the bill crafted in their way. But for the music community to come in and carve out these programs to be eligible for the people that we all care about was really something incredible. And BARD and and the RAA and a lot of people deserve a lot of credit for for making that happen. And we're just happy to be part of it. It's funny. I I feel like our industry, you know, people who are outside our industry always think our industry is, is, you know, one of the big guys. And then they're like, you know, when you get in there, you're like, wow, there's some really big players out there, (laughs) people with very deep pockets. Oh, yeah. We're, we're tiny compared to all the economic interests that we're lobbying on this bill. But as Michelle and Mitch were commenting on, one of the advantages we had is we had a roadmap from the Music Modernization Act, and we were able to get dozens of organizations together very quickly to go in and speak with one voice 
And that was effective because I don't think there's any other industry that has such different interests that I've seen that was able to come together with a singular voice and ask of Congress, which I think went a long way toward us getting what we wanted. Just to give you a sense of how quickly it occurred, as the committees were putting the language into the bill in 24 hours, 40 music organizations signed on together. Now there are about 60 that are on helping to contribute to this website to keep giving information to put it all in one place. But 40 organizations in 24 hours is a pretty incredible accomplishment for any industry, but especially this industry, which can seem so disparate, serving so many different interests. You know, during a crisis, this is what the music community does. And this is what artists and songwriters do, right? They help people get through. And it was really great to see this industry pull together so fast. The Music Modernization Act took months. This this took a day. Wow. Yeah, but it's an example of what you can do when you already have the foundation there, right? I think it's so important. And like any family, we don't always get along, but we can pull together when it when we need to. And that's really important as well. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought it was also impressive, you know, because Mitch and I spoke early on and everybody's immediate concern was for the artists, the musicians and, and the crew. You know, that was the first thought that they, they're going to really be in trouble. So, you know, considering, you know, I mean, RAA doesn't directly represent artists, but everybody was on board with that and, and songwriters, obviously, but the, the creators basically were the ones that everyone was worried about. So what I loved about about that coalition of us 40-something groups that Mitch mentioned to other earlier is that while we may represent disparate groups of the music business, we came together, but some of the, those groups aren't even represented. And we, we did a study recently and we realized that almost 40,000 people in Tennessee alone are out of work in the gig economy from stagehands to road crews and musicians. That doesn't even take into account the songwriters that they just talked about or even some of the other folks in the business. So I, I think those groups that are not necessarily represented by a single individual interest group are still rolled up and their interests are taken care of when we went to Washington. That's one of the most amazing things about this. I, I feel like it's a, and if you build it, they will come situation. I mean, you guys really worked together to build it during the MMA and now the crisis happened and everyone came together. I mean, it's, it's kind of an amazing, magical thing to watch. This is the story of your red right ankle And how it came to meet your leg And how the muscle bone and sinews tangled And how the skin was softly shed And how it whispered, oh, it here to me For we are bound by symmetry Whatever differences our lives have been We together make a limb This is the story of your red right ankle This is the story of your gypsy uncle Never knew cause he was dead And how his face was carved and riffed with wrinkles In the picture in your head 
high out in the Pyrenees But you wanted to keep his secret safe So you threw the key away This is the story of your gypsy uncle This is the story of the boys who loved you Who love you now and loved you then Some were sweet and some were cold and snuffed you And some just laid around in bed Some had crumbled you straight to your knees Did it cruel, did it tenderly some had crawled their way into your heart To rend your ventricles apart This is the story of the boys who loved you This is the story of your red right That was Red Right Ankle by The Decemberists. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Mitch Glazier and Michelle Ballantyne of the RIAA, Richard Burgess of A2IM, David Israelite of the NMPA, Sarah Traherne of the CMA, and Bart Herbison of the NSAI. Richard, did you want to talk a little bit about independent record labels? Because, you know, I don't know that people necessarily think of them as, as small businesses, but they are small businesses, and they're often very small businesses, family businesses. Quite a lot of them, yeah. Sometimes they come down to sole proprietorships even. I mean, you know, I was gratified that, you know, the Paycheck Protection Program seems to provide, you know, some protection for the independent labels. And obviously, we're still working our way through the implementation. And it's not clear yet. But I know I know of labels that have filed for that. And, you know, as Mitch and, and David have pointed out, you've got to get in quickly on this, because we don't know how long the money will last or how difficult it's going to be. But definitely, the, the filings seem to have gone through. There were a few hiccups last Friday. You know, some of the banks had implemented some things that didn't seem to be in the spirit of the original program, but they seem to have gotten ironed out between Friday and Monday. And they seem to have increasingly been straightened out as the week goes on. So that's been really good. But, you know, I think we, we obviously have to see one of the things I'm concerned about is how fast the money's going to show up. I think for some people, it's going to get critical really quickly. So that would be a concern how quickly it can show up because obviously if you're very small or if you're an independent creator, an individual creator, it could be critical if we don't have any money pretty quickly. Mitch, do you have any thoughts on that? In some ways, the easy part of this was, which sounds silly, was everybody getting together to get this monster stimulus package through. The hard part is actually the work that it's taking every single day for this coalition to go state by state. And as you figure out 
the problems, the coalition is joining together and writing letters to governors, using all the resources we have in the states to get them to the governor's staff, visiting with the heads of the Unemployment Insurance Commission, which is not something the music community is used to doing. You know, we have to be scrappy in finding out new ways and new resources to get into these places to tell them about our specific needs. And then once we find out the information or whether they're offering a webinar or whether they are amending their application, we quickly try to get that onto the Music COVID Relief website so that musicians, artists, songwriters, whoever needs to apply to this, small record labels, anybody who qualifies is able in that particular state to get in line very quickly. So every single day we are spending hours lobbying in all 50 states with a very small team trying to help with the implementation. The money's great, but if it can't actually get into the pockets of the people to apply, then it was a useless exercise. So that's what's taking up most of our time right now. It is really complicated and difficult. The application process can also be complicated and difficult. And the same thing at the federal level with the SBA and the Labor Department working on the regulations there. And this coalition is doing a great job of trying to to do that. So that's the next phase in this battle. And we have to do it very quickly. And just to repeat for the thousandth time, what Bart reinforced, get your application in now, both for a small business advance or loan and for unemployment benefits on the Paycheck Protection Act. Because if it's weeks that it's going to take some states like California to even get an application up and running, you know, during a crisis that hopefully won't last for months and months, you don't want to get to that critical point before you can even apply because then there'll be a delay in the payout that goes from that point forward. So that's the, I think the biggest takeaway is use the resource, apply now, get in line. Sarah. Are you guys fielding at CMA, are you fielding a lot of questions from people, from songwriters and musicians and country music who are just like, what do I do? Yes, exactly. And we've actually been part of that that coalition on our website. We have the Music COVID Relief link right first and foremost when folks come to our website. But as people who are within CMA, we touch not just songwriters or record industry people and artists, but we have touring personnel and venues and radio and DSPs. So we, we're kind of what we call the big tent and represent all different aspects of the business. And we've heard from almost every sector about the huge financial in, impact that it's having on everyone. We're hosting two webinars tomorrow, one on healthcare and, and one on how to get through with the CARES Act tomorrow afternoon. But I think like all of these other groups represented here as trade organizations, our, our focus is to make sure we're being responsive and hearing what our members say day in and day out. David, what about you? Have you fielded a ton of questions from your constituents? You know, a lot of the questions I'm getting are about looking for advice about what the impact's going to be down the road. From the membership of the music publishers, they're trying to project out you know, what kind of decrease in revenue, where it's going to come from, how long that's going to last. And obviously, for a lot of songwriters that belong to performance right organizations, they're getting some messaging, maybe from their PRO about decreases in payments or future decreases in payments. And so there's a lot of nervousness about that. And we're doing our best to try to get some kind of a handle on what to expect down the road. You know, one of the weird things about the music industry is often we get paid for activity that occurred a long time ago. And so when you have revenue problems in this immediate period, that may not show up till down the road because of the way that the money flows through the music industry. And so if there is a 
decrease in the number of restaurants and bars paying performance fees to the PROs today, you may not feel that for a few quarters and things like that. Or if you're not having television and movie production being done today, the impact on your budget may come down the road. So a lot of what I'm getting is more, you know, people trying to get a handle on, you know, what the impact's going to be of this, which obviously is important and, and somewhat different from the person that maybe lost a job or doesn't have any income coming in and is looking for immediate relief right now. Absolutely. Richard, what have you been hearing from your constituents? I'm thinking, you know, independent labels have been scrappy for years. So I know a lot of people are doing interesting things to try to get a handle on this and get ahead of it. Right. Yeah, it is. It's across the board. You know, we have labels who it, it's not directly affecting right now. And we have labels who it's dramatically affecting. And one of the biggest factors there is that the independent sector is more heavily reliant on physical goods. So we have one label in particular that's 100% physical. And many labels that are in the 50% range or 30 to 40% range, and they're obviously being devastated because independent retail is being hit. And they also have touring bands that normally will sell goods, you know, impulse buys at gigs, and they're wiped out in, in that area. And then the other thing is, and I'm sure this is probably similar to the majors, the question about whether labels should go forward with frontline releases is it going to impact their ability to promote and those kinds of things. So awful lot of questions, to be honest with you. And it's across the gamut, you know, from people panicking about money right now. We're actually doing a webinar tomorrow about, you know, how to manage money in this kind of situation for labels that might be struggling with that. And through to just questions about how long it's likely to last and what, what the longer term impact is going to be. Sarah, the CMA Foundation has donated a million dollars to the Music Cares COVID-19 Relief Fund, which is fabulous. That's so awesome. Thank you for doing that. How do you see that whole thing rolling out? Like in terms of the, you know, within the industry, there are these funds that have sprung up, specifically Music Cares, obviously, but there are others. How do you see that playing out in the future? Well, I just want to reiterate what, what Bart and Mitch said about getting their government applications in, if you fit in that world. But our hope is that there are a number of different resources for people in our industry. So certainly Music Cares has a long tradition of being able to get money in the hands of people in our business to help with their needs. So rather than trying to do something on our own at CMA, we decided to get a million dollars into their hands as quickly as possible so they could be out there on behalf of, of all of our members helping with this. And, and again, there's other groups that are out there doing that as well. ACM's Lifting Lives Fund is out, out there helping people in our business as well. So a number of these folks that are impacted by it actually will need to get multiple sources of income. I mean, the, the impact on our industry is huge. I, I got a little frustrated at a, a political figure earlier in the week that said, well, you know, artists X or Y, you know, they make millions of dollars. We don't need to worry about their tours being canceled. And, you know, one of the things that we looked at was that for each of those tours, there's 150 to 200 people that are paid off of that artist doing a gig. And that doesn't even take into account all of the people at the local level, at the venues and in, in their infrastructure as well. And so, you know, I, I think it's important for us as these big companies are out there, you know, making a statement for how many people are out of work to remember that in our industry, it's worldwide. I saw one question come through on the chat from somebody at an international festival. And in our discussions with our international board members, there are a lot of artists that aren't going to be able to go overseas next year because their window touring in the U.S. is so much shorter. So I think it's going to take at least a year for our business to be able to get back to where we were in January. 
Bart, I know you have like 5,000 members around the world. So I'm sure this is, and I mean, it's a global pandemic, so it's affecting everyone. So what are you seeing from the overseas community? Well, let me echo what Sarah said. There's this misnomer that you're in the music industry, you're rich. We certainly have very successful artists and we have some very successful songwriters, but in the digital era of music, we've lost that middle class. And so the relief most of us are talking about are for rank and file workers. It's for the bass player. It's for the roadie. It's for the songwriter. And I got to tell you this, nobody's been devastated in this industry more than the songwriters in the digital era of music. We're talking about the kinds of incomes where you file unemployment and get a loan because you've made under $100,000. So I hear the same thing. The first thing I started hearing was from songwriters who play shows. First impacted was live music, tourism, travel, the leisure industry. We own the Bluebird Cafe. It's closed. When's it going to open? I know Erica from the Bluebird. I see she's on here. David's wearing a Bluebird shirt. You want to give her a shout out, David? (laughs) But look, seriously, we don't know when that's going to open and what it's going to look like. So this is tough. I can't pay my rent. What am I going to do about my electric bill? So if you'll allow me, let me take two minutes to walk through the kind of relief that you can expect. So if you make under $75,000, you're getting a stimulus check for $1,200. If you're on Social Security or you don't even qualify for taxes, you get a lesser amount. If you're married, you get essentially double that and you get an extra payment for your child. That should be coming reasonably soon. If you have direct deposit, we're told you'll get that quicker. So if you don't, go try to Log on, try to log on to the IRS and get direct deposit. There is unemployment. So in Tennessee, you can now file. You go file, first come, first serve. It's not a lot of money. You're going to be paid in some regards based on how long you've worked and how much you've paid into that system. Then there's an extra $600 a week for, I think, 13 weeks. Hopefully, many will be eligible for that. There's the Paycheck Protection Program. You file an application. It only counts for up to $100,000 in income. Some of that will be forgiven, and that's the portion that you pay others or you pay yourself. There's the Emergency Injury Disaster Loan Program. That's going to be relevant for some, not relevant for others. We were worried that the PPP, the program that most are going to be able to avail themselves of, the Paycheck Protection, to keep people working, would run out of money, but we do understand there's going to be an extra maybe $250 million injected into that program this week. Then there's music heirs. We might possibly have a couple private funds ourselves, and so we'll get to that in the queue. But if you want to see everything we know about, it's musiccovidrelief.com. Thanks for that info. It's really great. Grace Cathedral Hill All wrapped in bones of setting sun All dust and stone and moribund I paid 25 cents to light a little white candle For a new year's day and watched it burn away then 
turn then weave through slow decay we were both a little hungry so we went to get a hot dog down the high street pure the light was slight and disappeared the We heard a Superman trumpet play the national anthem And the world may be long for you But it'll never be long to you But on a motorbike When all the city lights blind That was Grace Cathedral Hill by the Decemberists. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. Also, check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's Potty Mouth. It's called 
Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Mitch Glazier and Michelle Ballantyne of the RIAA, Richard Burgess of A2IM, David Israelite of the NMPA, Sarah Traherne of the CMA, and Bart Herbison of the NSAI. Some people have asked how this might affect the setup of the MLC, since that's still happening. Does anyone want to address that? Yeah, I'm a non-voting board member. I'm the Songwriter Trade representative, and I hope it doesn't. The Copyright Office has been given the ability to delay the start of that, if need be. It's uh, scheduled to start on January 1, 2021, and as of today, we don't see a delay in that. So we've got a Twitter account, a website. We've got a fantastic new CEO we've hired named Chris Arend. But right now, Portia, we are on go for the launch on January 1st, 2021. The next big development will be asking individual songwriters and publishers to give us their data. And hopefully that's not too far down the road. Sarah, you touched on this. I think it's important to mention that the CMA Fest is actually the biggest event in Nashville in terms of tourism, brings the most people. So really, you know, our industry touches tens of thousands of, of people's lives because, you know, the hotel industry is decimated, the tourism industry is decimated. Yeah, making the decision to not do Fest this year was incredibly difficult. We held off as long as possible just because of the impact we have on the city, as you mentioned, Portia. CMA Fest last year brought in about $65 million in direct visitor spending to the city as a whole, bringing in about 80,000 fans per day in the footprint. So we looked at all different scenarios. How late could we go in making the decision? At the same time, we had fans really wanting to know whether it was going to happen or not definitively. A lot of them actually had lost their jobs and needed to know if they could get their money back and cancel their hotel rooms and all those kind of things. So we felt like we really waited as long as we could to make that decision. And you know, we certainly didn't make it lightly. There was not a scenario to move to another location because it involves over 300 artists, 11 stages, and all these other venues. Where someplace like a Bonnaroo owns their site in Manchester and can find another weekend. We had the football stadium, the Music City Center, downtown footprint, three parks. There just wasn't an ability to do that. You know, in my heart of hearts, this was our 49th year. And next year, we would be celebrating our 50th normally. So next year, we'll have the 49th. We'll have a killer party next June in 2021, then a great 50th in 2022. But once we made that decision, then it allowed us to change our staff resources rather than kind of spinning our wheels to really focus on what's the virtual fest. Can we do something during those days in June to highlight the artists and songwriters and the fans? Because first and foremost, the security of the fans and the artists were our primary concern. And as soon as it became pretty clear, we couldn't do it those days. We had to go ahead and make that decision. I will say, though, that the majority of fans so far have not requested a refund. Most of them have asked to just be rolled forward to the event in 2021, which I think to me hopefully foretells well how strong our music community can come back once we get through the hell of this this year. Richard, I wanted to ask you to talk about that a little bit too, because you moved A2IM's Indie Week in June. And I know that's a huge decision for you guys. You've moved it online and made it virtual. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, I'm clearly not gathering in person was a huge decision for us. We also procrastinated on that. We, we, we started planning the virtual conference and award show 
several months ago, actually, well, as soon as this came up, I flew to England on February 21st, and there I read a CDC report that was pretty grim and immediately started the whole thing in motion to do a virtual event. But we still were hoping against hope that we might not have to move to virtual. We were hoping that it would still be possible. But after a while, it became obvious that it's unlikely that things are going to be safe in June. It may be that there's an all clear and there's a certain amount of people going back to work. That's quite possible. But I think people will be skittish. And I, I was not comfortable bringing people into New York at a time when, you know, it might still be dangerous to their health. So, you know, it's the, the other thing is we, we have many members. You know, we've got some more than 800 members at this point. And we know that we want to give as much benefit to our members as we possibly can. And a lot of that's about the various different things we do at the conference. We do one-on-ones, we do panels, we do speakers, all those kinds of things. So many of those can still go forward in the virtual domain. And frankly, we don't really know how it's going to go, but we think that it's a better option than just canceling for us. And it wasn't obvious where we could postpone to. I know the music business moved to August and Obviously, if we're back in action again in the fall, there's a pretty full agenda from September onwards. So we didn't want to kind of go and conflict with other conferences and other award shows. So it seemed like the best thing to do was go virtual and then move the in-person show, you know, wait for the in-person show till next year. Makes sense. Mitch and Michelle, I've got a question here and I've actually heard something on the radio about this the other day. There's a fourth stimulus bill coming into Congress. What does it look like for the music industry for that bill? Well, there's the next phase, which they're calling COVID-4, which should pass the Senate tomorrow. That's the $280 billion more to the Small Business Administration that Bart mentioned that will extend and hopefully allow faster processing by the states with some regulations for the money that was begun in the CARES Act. And so they're just adding more money to that particular fund, which is crucially important. So that's what's going to go tomorrow, Thursday. Then they're talking about at the end of the month, what could be called COVID-5, I guess, the next tranche in the stimulus package, which won't just be money for the same paradigm that was passed in the CARES Act. It's going to be new provisions that will focus a little bit more on other industries that weren't covered under the CARES Act. I have a question here that I kind of like because we all run trade associations. And I just want to ask everybody, what are we all doing to reassure our employees in this time? I think this is an important thing to touch on. I think the most important thing was work from home. I mean, we went to work from home immediately. And I think that was a huge thing. And I, I, I assured my employees that we wouldn't go back to the office until it was safe to be on public transport and out in the streets. You know, frankly, we made the transition pretty well because we had good technology in place and it was very easy. It was almost seamless. But I just didn't want anybody to feel unsafe coming to work. So that was a big thing. And, you know, as it stands right now, I don't think there's any real immediate danger to our employees. Well, believe it or not, we were having a move during this. Yeah. <laughs> we had, In the middle of the whole thing, we we're having an office move just across the street. But what ended up happening is instead of giving people, you know, a month to pack up, we said, okay, you got to pack up and be out in two days. And, you know, they did. Everyone did. Everyone was really good natured about it. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of conference calls and video calls. 
And I think one of the most important things you can do to reassure people is just to stay in touch. I think that's really important. They need to know, you know, I mean, work obviously has to go on, but you want to make sure that people are reassured by the fact that things are going on as they would have been or close to as they would have been. Yeah. And one of the most difficult things is that, you know, we have 24 seven content protection all around the world. So, you know, we have a contingency plan or emergency plans in case of a crisis, but, you know, artists still release albums and those albums still have to come down off the internet when there are pre-release leaks. And it has to happen with everybody using their home systems. Bots still have to work. Takedown notices still have to be sent. And we have to work with, you know, London, Miami, and New Zealand on all time zones coordinated with everybody from home. So it's been quite a logistical challenge to make that happen. But everybody at RIAA, IFPI, Recorded Music New Zealand have done a really good job coordinating from home. And as Michelle said, we've been sending sort of just a note to individual employees every day saying, hey, thinking about you, how are you doing? I know you're used to stopping by my office. I'm still here. Text me if you need me, just to make sure that people know that we're still there for them. Trade associations are weird organizations. In some ways, the more trouble your industry is in, the more the trade association has to do and more it's needed. And so, you know, one of the things in this period of time where, you know, there are economic challenges to music is making sure that the revenue that should be coming in is coming in. And so there's actually an increased emphasis on new businesses, for example, that are building businesses on the backs of songwriters and music that aren't licensed properly and aren't paying properly because it's times like these that you need those other income streams that are being developed to help, you know, shore up the loss of other income streams. And so, you know, for companies like, I don't know, say TikTok, they may want to be paying particular attention to times like this, because I think there's a less of a tolerance than ever for letting people use music without proper licenses, without proper permissions. I think also, as David said, as a trade organization, our focus gets a little more heightened at times like this. So on our team, we had some people working on best scenarios. We had other people working on how do we make sure that we're in touch with our individual membership groups and how they're being impacted. How are we getting money to them? We were still in Nashville recovering from the tornado when all this started growing. And certainly a lot in our music business were already impacted by the tornadoes that hit Nashville before we even got to talking about COVID relief. One of the things we've done aside from regular management calls and full staff meetings is we started sharing lists of movies and met, you know, meditation tapes and what do you listen to for fun? And really what are the points to each other on the staff to say, how do you decompress from this and just really try to schedule regular, you know, times off or walks with the dog. I, I can tell you myself, it doesn't happen as often as I like to get, get out of my chair because the days are so busy, but you have to, you have to pace yourself because we're in this for a while. So I think you have to take every challenge as an opportunity. We've become more of an online organization, especially for our hundred chapters around the world. We're going to make some announcements about some new programs and services that come with our membership and some new online events. But I have to tell you, Mike Molinar, a publisher in Nashville, said something that's really inspired me and that when you get the blahs about all this, I think about it. And this was early on. He said, Bart, Shakespeare was quarantined for months during the plague in 1606. And during that time, he wrote Anthony and Cleopatra, Macbeth and King Lear. So that's my advice to songwriters, right? 
I sort of feel like that might be a good place for us to stop. I appreciate you guys' time so much and everything that you do. Thank you guys once again. And thanks to everyone who listened and asked questions and chatted. It's been lovely to see you and let's all stay in this together. I think the takeaway from this is get your applications in. Get your applications in. And as it may sound, you know, sentimental, but we are all in this together and we all have to work together to get through it. And if you are an organization, you don't have musiccovidrelief.com on your website or in your newsletter. You know, the only way to get this out to the music community is for everybody to communicate it because, you know, our organizations can only do so much. So if you're a law firm, if you're an association, if you're an organization, please help spread the word because if people don't know, they can't apply. And if there's information you think we're missing, information that members of the community need and would be worthwhile for them to know about, please feel free to send it in to us. We're constantly updating the site. We want to synthesize all that information and make it available to everyone. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day. Take care. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard the Decemberists and, of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at thefutureofwhatshow.com and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was recorded via Zoom and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. Stay safe, wash your hands, and I'll see you next week.